Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. You might remember last week as we finished chapter 4 of Revelation, I asked if you could read through chapter 5 as preparation for this evening. And we're going to look at chapter 5 now. And before we do, let me just read it again to you. So it's Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on a throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchase men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray before we look at this passage together. Our Father, again, we thank you that we can come before you and that we can, we can read these words. Sometimes we might not completely understand them, but our Father, we pray that you will just teach us, teach us to trust, to trust and believe that we might listen to your words, that we might take them to heart and that we might just have that desire to want to know more of who you are. And we pray that we, as we see this in this book of Revelation, that we, like the heavenly hosts, might give you your rightful place as we praise and worship you. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. 
Well, so far in the book of Revelation, we've been introduced to the Apostle John, who is imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. We've heard about these seven real churches who, like every church in God's family, needs and receives guidance and encouragement and correction. And we see that this is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus, who is the Christ, and the one who died and rose again and then ascended into heaven. Now, as we moved into chapter 4, our thoughts were turned from earth to heaven. As we were given a glimpse of what was happening in heaven, John's vision takes us into the throne room of God, where we see something of God's glory and splendor. And we said that this was a sight that was so wonderful that it was hard for John to find words to describe it to us. And as we move into chapter 5 of Revelation, I, I want us to take the words of the Apostle Paul with us. Take them as a reminder that we are learning about things, some of which will transcend our understanding. But they are the things that we as believers will one day see more clearly. The verse I'm thinking of is that verse that I've quoted before, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, when Paul said, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You know, one of the great lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament prophets is that they were messengers of God. And they may not have fully understood why or how the Lord would fulfill the things that he had revealed to them. But they, by faith and by believing, went on and delivered what they had been told to deliver. And what they delivered was not their thoughts, but God's words. They were faithful to his words, and they took those words to the people even when they didn't fully understand how God would do what he was saying he would do. We can also learn from the people of the Old Testament who were told all that they needed to know about the coming Messiah, and that was so that they would be ready to accept him. But how many were ready? You see, they saw the signs, but they missed their significance. And so they missed the Messiah. The Old and the New Testaments are all part of God's plan. So we shouldn't be surprised to find in the book of Revelation references, quotes, and allusions to the Old Testament. And something that we should be aware of is for us not to approach this book expecting to know or understand everything. And we must avoid being overly dogmatic about certain issues. You know, in his ministry, Jesus made many references to the Old Testament, confirming the importance that it had for the people in his day and the importance that it has for us in our day. The past, the present, and the future are all part of God's plan. 
a plan that is being rolled out from Genesis to Revelation, both here on earth and at the same time in the heavenly realms. And we're seeing something of this now. I want us this evening to spend just a few moments to consider what Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 24. Remembering that John, who is a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos, who's seeing this vision, who is writing for us the book of Revelation, was there when Jesus spoke these words to them. The words recorded here in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, verse 1 through to 29, Jesus warns his disciples that the temple will be destroyed. And we know that it was. It was destroyed in AD 70. But Jesus here is warning the disciples that the temple would be destroyed. And on hearing this, the disciples asked, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Wow, this is a big question from them. A question about, for them, what will happen now? but also a question that extends into what will happen in the future. And Jesus goes on to tell them that before the end of the age, there will be wars and rumours of wars. Others will come in his name, but don't listen to them. They're only there to deceive you. Nation will fight against nation. There will be famine and earthquakes. And all these things are the beginning of birth pains. That's an important phrase there, the beginning of birth pains. Now they, the disciples, they will be persecuted. And when that persecution comes, they must stand firm. The gospel will be preached. That's all the things that Daniel spoke about will happen. And he tells them that you'll need to flee for your lives. Now, if we spend time looking at world events during the lives of the disciples and the lives of the early church, we will see that these things happened. The temple was decimated. The temple was destroyed. The people had to flee for their lives. And some of the believers saw these signs and thought that Jesus would return during their lifetime. But Jesus told them, that they were the beginnings of birth pains. So Matthew 24, uh, as we uh, now come to verse 30, 31. Jesus moves on to describe the day of his return. He said this, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Just a a question to stop for a moment you see Jesus was speaking there in Matthew he was speaking to his disciples telling them things would happen certain things that would happen and did happen within their lifetime but then he goes straight on to tell them about his return so there's a big gap there now we are in that gap have the wars ceased have the nations stopped raging against each other 
Has the earth stopped quaking? Has Jesus returned? The answer is no, and the reason is that the birth pains are still here. They're the signs that we are to look for, signs that tell us that Jesus will return. In that same chapter of Matthew, verse 32 to 35, we're told to watch and learn from what you see. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs become tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near. Right at the door, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Right, let's consider that for a moment. You see, some of these things that Jesus spoke about would happen in their lifetime. And these things are still happening in our lifetime. You see, we are part of the generation, the generation of those born this side of the cross. We, today, are Jesus' disciples. And we must learn the lesson that they had to learn then, to watch and to learn. And then Jesus goes on in that same passage of Matthew, in verse 36 through to 41, and he, he has a warning from the Old Testament. See the link between the Old and the New Testament? And he said this, But about that day or hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. You see, many times throughout history, there have been natural disasters, horrific wars, evil world leaders who abuse their power to inflict all kinds of suffering on innocent people. These are reminders to us that the day of his return is near, near. It's nearer than it was in the days of the early church, but like them, we do not know the day of his return. Let's just stay in Matthew 24 and go to verse 42 through to 44. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we do what Jesus told his disciples to do. This is what he said to them. This is what he says to us. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at the hour when you do not expect him. So what are we to do? We are to keep watch, and we are to be ready. This is what we should be doing, as we who have ears 
are listening to the words of the Lord in John's letter of Revelation. These things are signs that we, like the disciples, have been told to look out for. And like them, we live by faith. Reminded of that verse in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. So let's take these thoughts with us as we go into Revelation chapter 5. So let's look at verse 1. We can head this, the scroll. This is what John said. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So here's a question. Who has the scroll? Well, the answer is, it is God the Father. Where is the scroll? It is in his powerful right hand. Let's take a step back into the Old Testament. Let's go back to the days of Ezekiel and let's read about what Ezekiel saw in his vision. Uh, you can read all about that, but we're just going to look at verses 9 through to 10 of Ezekiel chapter 2. This is what he said. Then I looked and saw a hand stretched out to me. It was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. You see, this scroll that Ezekiel saw was open. It was given by God to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is told to eat the scroll. Now, this is to absorb it. And then once he's absorbed, scroll then he was to reveal what was written on the scroll to God's people let's look at the scroll in Revelation the scroll that John saw was sealed and there's a difference isn't it it was sealed with seven seals now in Roman law I understand that seven representatives were required to witness a will. And this was done by each applying their personal seal to the document. And then it was their duty to be there when the seal was opened, or when the will was opened and the seals were broken by them. In Scripture, we've already mentioned this, but seven is an important number. Now, especially here in Revelation. And here in this part of Revelation, it's telling us that this scroll contains the fullness and completeness of all God's work. Remember, in seven days, God completed his work of creation. We've already seen in Revelation, the seven churches are representative of his complete church. The mention of the content of the scroll being written on both sides tells us that it is complete. There's no room left for anything to be added. And the scroll is sealed because it is important. It is officially sealed by God. And it is closed so that nothing can be added and nothing can be taken away from it. And it can't be opened by just anyone. 
So that takes us to Revelation 5, verse 2 and 3. And we have here what I've titled a devastating disappointment for John. Verse 2 and 3, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. You see, John was there in this vision. He He was expecting to be shown what will take place. And now it looks as though this will not be happening. Remember, at the very start of the book of Revelation, in verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant what must take place. This scroll is being offered, but no one is worthy enough to open it. So when we come to verse 4 and 5, John's sorrow is turned to joy. John said, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So verse 6 and 7. Where is Jesus? Jesus is in heaven. John knows that. Jesus is in his father's house. What is he doing there? He's preparing a place for John. They were told that. That's what he said to the disciples. So Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is being described here. And did this description of the one who is worthy fuel John's expectations that it must be Jesus? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who has triumphed. Now, was John expecting Jesus to step forward as the victorious, powerful lion? Well, in verse 6, we read that, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. When John saw the Lamb, did the words of John the Baptist flood into his mind when he first introduced John to Jesus? This is what John the Baptist said in John 1, 35-36. John the Apostle records these words. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. One of those two disciples of John the Baptist, we're told, was John the Apostle, John the Disciple, John the writer of the book of Revelation. And did he remember the words that he heard from the mouth of Jesus when Jesus spoke about who he was and how he would suffer at the hands of Caiaphas and Pilate? Did John remember how Jesus died and rose again in triumph over sin and death and hell? You see, the Lion of the tribe of Judah is still the Lamb of God, even when he's in heaven. The seven eyes are a way of conveying that he is all-seeing. See that number seven again? 
The eyes confirm our Lord's omniscience. The one who sees all, seven being a reference to the fullness and the completeness of his knowledge. Right through the Old Testament, horns symbolize strength, and here it speaks of the power and the might of Jesus, the Son of God, seven being a reference to the fullness and completeness of his strength. The reference to the seven spirits of God, as we've seen already, is a metaphor for the fullness of the work of the Holy Spirit and his role in achieving God's purpose, as it shows to us the the, the oneness and the importance of the Godhead. We see here the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is all confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah, who is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. And in verse 7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so in verse 8, we see the reaction that this brought from the heavenly hosts. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. As we saw in chapter 4, they are the living heavenly beings, those who were seen by Isaiah, Ezekiel and John. John is witnessing worship in action, worship that goes far beyond how we are able to worship God here from earth. And notice how in chapter 5, the worship is increasing. Here, we have instruments that are added to the worship song. They're playing harps and they're carrying golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You know, I I thought about this, and this is a stark reminder that God not only hears our prayers, but that he cherishes them. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to me about we tend to treat prayer lightly without recognizing its importance its importance to God, described as incense producing a fragrant aroma that is symbolic of the prayers of his people. So let's go to Revelation verse 9 and 10 of chapter 5. And we hear a new song for a new earth. Recognize these elements here. Verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Do you see that? That is looking to the future, the new heaven, the new earth, and they will reign on earth. So we come to the final verses of this chapter 5. We can head this, worthy is the Lamb, 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You know, just as we draw to a close this evening, I want us to think about this passage from Luke. It's Luke 15, it's verse 8 and verse 10. Just listen to these verses and have in mind what we've just looked at in chapter 5. And Jesus said this, So suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. You know what Jesus is saying here, that we on earth rejoice when a sinner repents and comes to God. But listen to what he continues to say. She calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Great thought to finish with this evening. Let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you again for this glimpse we have as we look into heaven. And our Father, we just thank you for the blessings that we have, knowing that you are there, knowing that you love us, that you are in control, and that you rejoice. You rejoice because of those who repent and come to you in the power of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, has done. We just thank you in his name. Amen.